Thank you, Julie, Marilyn, Jake, and Jacob Rose. I appreciate that. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. As a review, I'll read the first few, the first three verses, and our attention will be given this morning to the fourth verse. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Verse four, the text for this morning. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The New King James says, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we want to hear from you. We're grateful for your son, Jesus Christ, who allows us the riches of our inheritance, and we're depending on the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in the next few moments. It's in your name I pray. Amen. I have discovered that I grow through a well-asked question whether that question be asked of someone else, so I'm asking the question, or whether that was a question that I'm using as introspection. And so this morning, I will go back for a bit of review to a, a question that I posed to us in three different versions. What is the one thing that will define you at the time of your life? Or I asked it this way, what, could, what one thing could be said of you regarding your life or attempt to, to help that question take on a little bit of more breath? I said, what is the one thing that when you wake up and approach the day that you're attempting to live out? As you remember, that was to to talk about, to lead us into the text of Ephesians 4. And the goal of that question was to get us to the answer. I, I, I proposed to us that all of our one thing, all of the, that answer to the question for all of us really would be some version of verse 1 of chapter 4 that what could be said about us is to live in a manner worthy of the calling, chapter 4, verse 1, or in another place, Paul talks about to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. And in chapter four, he talks about it being with humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, love, the unity of spirit. Over the past several Lord's days, we've walked carefully through this part of scripture, looking consistently and carefully at the great apostles' words to what a life worthy of the calling looks like. He goes into great detail of how individual believers' lives should look like. Just a reminder, what he talks about in chapter four and following are not salvation type of things. It's not what we do to earn salvation or justification, as Jake helped us to understand. It's not justification he's talking about here. We are only in God's favor and saved because of what Christ has done. And that's why we're here. 
But because of what Christ has done, that leads us to a set of behaviors, if you will, or an attitudes that we should develop. And that's called sanctification. That's growth. That's, mat- that's spiritual maturity. I would submit to you that we would understand that the gospel blessing of Christ's salvation gives way to the gospel commands of Christ's sanctification. So in other words, this morning, our lives should reflect the faith we say we believe. And then we move to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, and that's a verse that may seem a little odd coming at this point in the sermon, but it's where Paul told the Ephesians not to be drunk with wine, but he said, be filled with the Spirit. So what he was saying is he was contrasting two, two controlling elements, wine or intoxicating elements, if you will, wine and the Spirit. And then he goes on to say, when we're filled with the Spirit, what takes control of our lives It reflects in the church, the home, and our workplace. And that's where we're working through now. Last week, Brother Sean did an amazing job as as our family was able to join via Zoom on vacation. He spoke about the role of a Christian child. It's interesting that everyone in this room is a child. I don't know if you still think about that, but you're someone's child this morning. So in other words, what Sean was talking about is something we all all must heed. We must take careful attention to honor our parents. Maybe parents that are no longer with you this morning, you're still honoring their legacy, if you will. Today is a a day that we honor fathers, the men who, who are in our lives. And if you have a living father, you should honor him this day in some way. But not just today. I would propose that a Christian child just doesn't have a Mother's Day or a Father's Day once a year. It's a lifestyle. And one of the ways that we celebrate Mother's Day and Father's Day, especially if you're under the authority in the, in the home still yet, is listen to me, kids, and I can call my grandkids, Ezekiel and Jackson and Chloe. I can say, Kingston, the way you do that is by honoring your mom and dad is by obeying, by obeying the authority that they are. So every day is a mom's day and a dad's day. Many in this room submit to God-given parents and respect them, and that's what God's teaching you about your relationship with our Heavenly Father. Now, I have to make two footnotes, and I learned this the hard way several years ago. So whenever I speak about fathers or mothers or families, I, I always try to make a comment because I understand this. We're talking about the biblical perspective of fatherhood or motherhood. But I know in a room this size that there are some of us here that our parents or our children are not so great. The truth is you don't have the same experience. We all don't have the same experience. So someone could rise as Jake gave us the opportunity and, and testify to the greatness of our, God, of our fathers, but there may be someone. I'd, there may be someone here that may be struggling with the role of their parents or their parents struggling with their child. So I would just say we're trying to look at the biblical image of what this means. If that's you, I would ask you to 
right now in the quietness of your heart, ask the Lord for you to get what you need to get out of this message and lean on his grace because he will, because we just were singing about a good, good father. Second, as I said about marriage, I want you to know that I'm a pilgrim. I'm on a journey. The thing I want you to know most about what I'm about to say is I'm sinful. I have failed horribly in this role as a parent, and I promise you one thing, I probably, most definitely, will fail again, my children and my grandchildren. I'm sinful. So all I'm trying to do is to come up here because this is what I believe I'm supposed to do. And as a broken, repentant, humble, and thank God, forgiven Father, help us and direct us to this verse. I've really struggled with how to approach this topic. There's a million ways to do it, but this is it. We gotta go back to Genesis. And some of this is because what I'm going to talk about, Lord willing, if I live and you come and hear me and, and I, it's my next time up is July 4th, is we're going to talk about the state of the United States. There's some of this that's brewing in here that you can get out of it. And the first thing I want to say to us all is this, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, do you know what it is? God created them, come on, help me, male and female. He identified the genders. And then he told them as male and female to do something. Can you help me what he told them in the next verse? He said, I'll help you. Be and multiply. So chapter one in our Bibles, God's word, you don't, you get 27 verses into it and he's told you that he's ordained the marriage and the family. This is what we are to do as creation. This is pre-fall. So, so sin, this is what God ordained as a perfect creation. Now, another footnote, because I got thinking about this. There are some people here that are single, and maybe God's given you the gift that to remain single forever. Single and celibacy are things that... that but marriage and childbearing are what is God's normal pattern. There's also those, I don't know of any here, but I don't know everything, that, but I do know even in our own family that, that struggling with, with having kids is a struggle for some people. And so I don't want to be offensive about that. But I'm saying as a normal course of action, we should raise our kids up to get married and have kids, and that's a really, really good thing. We, we live in a world that doesn't think that. I, I could probably ask Julie or Jay, but I'm assuming marriage licenses are down. Divorces still continue to go up, so even if they go, but cohabitation is, is a big deal. And children outside of marriage is even a bigger deal. And I'm just saying to you, that's not God's plan, and that's not even part of the sermon. I want you to get the point is point number one is this. Psalms 127. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. 
Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So here's the first thing that we all should today realign ourselves is if you have a child, it's a blessing from the Lord. They are not inconveniences. They're not frustrations, although they can be frustrating. They're not things that you just got to deal with. If God's given you a child this morning, you should worship and praise him no matter who they are or where they are. The guy without a child said amen. We should praise and worship God for the children he's given us. I'm not letting it go. Some of you are struggling to say it. We're gonna get a little African-American this morning. Children are a blessing from God and we should praise him and thank him for them. All right, I can move to the second point. I, I, as we traveled this past week, I kind of noticed that sometimes children were treated like drudgery. And I've done it. I'm, my, my girls are sitting here. I, I don't really need a, a revamp of the sermon afterwards and say, well, that didn't, wasn't true. That's not the life I grew up in. That wasn't the home I was a part of. I know that may be coming, but, but children are not a prop piece of property. And they're definitely not puppies. They're people and they're blessings. So as we approach our text, it's noticed that it's a negative and a positive. And he says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Paul in Pauline fashion is addressing the topic, both positive and negative. He's balancing it. It's how the word of God is balanced. And so first I would say that he is talking specifically to the male headship of the home. Men, not gonna beat up on you this morning, but men, we have a, a primary responsibility in the home as we have a primary responsibility to our spouses and to the leadership of the church. We have a primary responsibility to our homes. But this word also can be, scholars agree, 100% could mean parents in general. So there may be single parents here. We know of single parents. So it's, this is speaking to parents. And I wanna say to you that we are living in a world of angry children. I look over and I see Julie Swegman sitting there and I just wanna know if I could, I mean, I would just like to interview her and just talk to her about, about the kids that she interacts with. And I would, I would guess, I'm not, I'm guessing that she would talk about kids that just seem to come to school angry. They're frustrated. Life's not great. And she's got to deal with them for the time. As a teacher, other teachers, see Sarah back there, I'm sure she would say the same thing, that kids struggle with things. They're just not able to be kids. What's going on? Well, I think that maybe because the family is so far from the Bible, I think maybe because dads are so far from the Bible, maybe because the churches, I hate to say it, are so far from the Bible that we aren't giving the biblical pattern of the family and the home that we are frustrating and provoking our children to wrath or anger. I, I, I at least saw anecdotal evidence of that in the last several days. Christian mom and dad listen to you I've, I've prayed about it already this morning, and I want to say this to you. If you're a parent and you're following Christ, you're in a war. 
your family is under attack, whether you realize it or not. And you have to stay in the fight. So when these words were penned, he's saying there's a, there's a thing negatively that we can do. And I was reminded of Matthew 18, where it says that those who would lead kids into temptation or to sin, that it would be better for a millstone to be tied around their neck than to tempt a little one. And so this primary responsibility of our kids is, is huge. I think we have more to impact our kids than we think. And so the second point I want to talk to you, and I'm going to tell you, I'll get to a good part, but we got to wade through a little bit of hard stuff right now. There's a book that I read years ago and, and that I have a copy of. It's called The Heart of Anger. And on your tables are the 25 ways that parents provoke kids to wrath. So that, that prov provocation is literally it means to take the wind out of their sails. And, and so kids, you can't use this against your parents, but what I wanna say to you is this morning, is mom and dads, we have, we have to do some introspection and some examination and think about are there ways that we are doing this? And I just wanna highlight this, but I wanna help us understand that we have a role here. And by the way, this is just not with those with little ones at home. I believe it's as much for those of us with adult children as anything else. Just as you're always a child, if you've parented, you're always gonna be a parent. There's no out clause for that. Let's look at a couple. There's 25 of them. I'm just gonna go down through them real quick. A relationship lacking in marital harmony. I heard it a long time ago, the best thing you can do for your kids is love their mom or dad. And that's true today. When there's not marital harmony in the home, Kids suffer, we all know that. Maintaining, establishing and maintaining a child-centered home, a Christ-centered home. We provoke them when we make them the center of the home. Turn the page, us modeling sinful behavior. Hey, let me give you a news alert. How you handle anger, how you handle life is how they're gonna handle it. They're gonna become your mini-me. And so sometimes you need to look in the mirror when you're struggling with those little ones that are running around at home. Habitually disciplining with when angry. A mentor of mine encouraged me never to discipline the girls when I was angry. And that's what we wanna do. When we get angry at them, and all that does is rise up frustration. You can read the explanation. Scolding and being inconsistent, having double standards, being legalistic, I circled number nine, not admitting you're wrong and never asking your child for forgiveness. Hey, mom and dad, how are they ever gonna learn that God is a forgiving God if you've never asked them to forgive you? In the home is where they learn this. Constantly finding faults. There's some parents that believe that they just have to point out every little wrong thing their child does. I've told my girls, and this was advice given to me years ago, and I, again, I've not done this really well, but not everything they do is a capital offense. Not everything they do deserves your full wrath. Reversing God-given roles in the home. That means husbands should be husbands and wives be wives. I thought this was an interesting, not listening to your children's opinion. 
You know, they're people. They have opinions. They don't need to be little used. Comparing them to others. I would say that even as an adult child, and I'm, I don't think my parents intentionally do this, but I will tell you this is a struggle. Sometimes when a mom or dad is speaking of another child or another person, it's hard to say, well, what about me? Am I chopped liver? So we need to be careful. These are just ways. You may or may not agree with all of them. I highlight it 14, making time just to talk. Brothers and sisters, whether it's the marriage between the husband and the wife or between us as brothers and sisters in Christ, as a church family, it's impossible to have a relationship without communication. And you can't communicate if you don't take time. So how do you train them up without communicating? Not praising or encouraging your child. Every child should hear I love you. Every child should hear a good job eventually. Failing to keep your promise. Hey, if you make a promise, we should keep it. Chastising them in front of others. I think this is so, and I've done it. This is kind of nasty. Just doesn't, doesn't have a good look. I, I've, I, I'll just tell you, if I ever get arrested, I'm going to give you one. There's a couple reasons why. Here's one. I have had to walk away from many of parents who are cussing their children out at Kroger because there's a side of me that just wants to go and shake the person. I'm not saying I've never yelled at the girls in front of other people. I've never cussed them out, but just I, it's a, that's an ugly look. And so how, how are the teachers in the room supposed to get the kids after they were at Kroger with mom and dad last night and they were just told that they were a blah, 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 blah idiot? We wonder, it's not rocket science. And there's verses to support this. I could go on all day about this. Not allowing enough freedom, allowing too much freedom. There's the balance of scripture. I've seen this over the last several days, mocking your children. There's no reason really to mock anybody, but especially your child. We know of physically abusing them. I'm not saying that they shouldn't have corporal punishment. That's my personal opinion. There's nothing wrong with a SWAT or two or five or 10. Um, some, some little guys need it a little more than other little guys. That's just the truth. Ridiculing or calling them names. That doesn't help. Having unrealistic expectations. Again, not that this has ever been directly given to me, but sometimes I've tried to live up to the expectation of my parents. Anybody else in the room ever tried that? Your parents don't even have to put that on you, but sometimes you realize you're just trying to make mom and dad, if mom and dad's practicing the rest of it, Practicing favoritism, I can't express to you how that goes. And then I would just conclude with training with inconsistent methodologies to God's word. Brothers and sisters, I commend this to you when you go home. It's tough stuff. Look at it. Pray through it. Take 25 days and pray through it. You know, I, I say things like that, but I, I wonder, it's not what I'm, it's not just a kind of, oh, that's part of the sermon, go home. I mean, seriously, go through and ask God to examine your hearts. Um, 
Sometimes when you preach, you get the, the, the front of the, of the message. I would say to us this morning, let the Spirit speak to us. We have some responsibility for the angry children that's in our society is my point. What's God saying to you this morning? How well are you doing? Point number three, point them to the, to the Lord. Paul says to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord in, in one translation, nurture. That means providing, nursing, feeding them, caring for them. Do you know what our goal is? Our goal is to take this little baby, raise it up to where they're Christ followers and on their own, and we've launched them out of the nest. How do we do that? With discipline. Children, those of you that are still home in the room, listen to what I'm about to say. The reason that your parents or your, the people that are in authority over you are giving you instruction and discipline is because God told them to. They're, they're on, you are on loan from God to them so you can grow up, as Sean talked about. It means training and instructing and correcting. There's rules and you need to listen and, and they need to provide rules. Pedadia is the Greek word, that's what it means. Give them the box in which to live in. It's one of the most loving things you can do. Nuthesis is the other word. It's interesting, that's where we get the word nathetic counseling from. Nathetic counseling means counseling or discipling from the word. So uh, this is the point I wanna say to all of us this morning. If we've been given kids or grandkids, we need to point them to the word of God, to point them to Christ. It's not our job to save them, that's Christ's job. It's our job to point them to Christ. Teach them the word. Talk to them about Jesus. Show them his word. Talk to them about your relationship with Jesus. The most important thing we can do is to point our kids to Christ. I got thinking about my own life, and so I'll use it. A lot of time have I spent talking to the girls just about all kinds of things, about that they're gonna buy a house or their first car or when they first started dating or, I mean, just their wedding. We, we talked a lot about weddings and I mean, just all the things. And I thought, man, did I talk that passionately and that much about Jesus? Mom and dad, Satan wants you not to talk about Jesus to your kids. He wants you not to point him. He wants to make it uncomfortable. He wants you to feel uncomfortable when you have to say, mom is a sinner, dad failed here, and, and this is how Jesus saved me. Share those things with your children. So point number three, point them to the Lord. I'm almost done. So what's the application? Nothing fancy here. For those of you without children, if the Lord would have you to marry and to have children, that will be the greatest joy of your life and don't let anybody ever tell you differently. That's something to aspire to. My wife said to me yesterday, she doesn't even know I'm gonna say this. She didn't even know I was working on this portion of the scriptures or the, the message, I'm sorry. 
And I guess I my love grew even more for her yesterday. She said, Tim, when I was a little girl, the only thing I ever wanted to be was a wife and a mom. There's some young people here in college and out of college and they're single. The greatest thing you can be isn't defined by your career. The greatest thing that you can be is not defined by your bank account or the car you drive or your address or how many people in the community look up to you. The greatest thing that you can be is a mom or dad. Those of you with children, can we just say this? It's exhausting. I don't know if Kim and I could go back to a three-year-old through a 13-year-old ever again full-time. I'm just telling you, um, after several days with them, they are exhausting. Can you, can, those of you with kids, are kids exhausting? Go ahead, let's, let's say it together. Amen. Raising children are not for the faint of heart, but it's your priority. Do not buy into this culture's perspective. You don't need something for a mom's day. You don't need a mom's juice. You need the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can give you all that you need and so you need to be here every Lord's Day. Why? So you can look at the eyes of other moms and dads that are fighting and struggling. I mean, you've heard my three-year-old. He, he just ran across here 20 times, and you've heard the pitter-patter of his feet. But I'm glad he's here so other mothers can hear that because it's a struggle, amen? They're not perfect. You wonder where they really did come from. Did they really come from heaven? Or was there someplace else that God sent them from? But... When we come together in this church, we, we, we're, we're together. It's a spiritual enterprise. Some of you may feel like you've blown it. You're sinned. You're not a good parent. The good news is there's a way forward. Confess and repent. Get back online. Seek the Lord. Keep confessing. Keep repenting. Keep getting back online. Those of us with adult children, I will tell you, it's, a, it's adult children <laughs> Being a parent of an adult child is way worse than being the parent of 23-year-olds. I'm just telling you. And those of you that don't have adult children, you don't know, so you can't, you can't argue with me. But I'm telling you that those of us with adult children, our roles have changed, but listen to me, our influence is still important. It's gotta be different. I don't care if your child is 112, you're still their parent if you're alive, and you still have godly influence and godly wisdom to exercise in and around their lives. They may not take it, but when they don't take it, those of us with adult children, we should be praying for our kids and grandkids way more than we're talking to them, to be quite frank with you. I'm preaching to myself. Some of us with adult children feel like at times that we've blown it. Some of you may 
feel like you've completely blown it. Some of you have relationships that you need to restore. You need to restore your relationship with your adult child this morning. And I would say to you, what's the secret? Confess, repent, and go back to the Lord. It's the Christian way. It's the only way. Being frank about it, that's what we all are doing. We need to love Jesus more. We need to pray for our families without ceasing, and we need to stand firm. If you'll give me two or three more minutes, Jake is going to play an audio from a TikTok. For those of you who don't know what that is, don't worry about it, but just listen. There's a TikTok of a Georgia Tech football coach. Now, this is about football, so sports fans, if you've not been tuned in, tune in now. And just listen to the advice that he's given his team. I'm going to do my rendition of it, and I'm going to close, and we're going to stand, and then we're going to go about our way, okay? I just need to understand what you don't have to do, all right? You don't have to, you don't have to work hard. You don't have to eat right. You don't have to sleep right. You don't have to watch extra film. You don't have to do more than what's required of you. You don't have to be a good teammate. You don't have to be a good leader. You don't have to do anything that you don't want to do. But you also don't have to win. You don't have to, you don't have to be a success in life. You don't have to help your team win. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to play. No one has to play you. So the greatest things in life take sacrifice and discipline. And that's why so few people achieve great things. Because they don't want to sacrifice. They don't want to discipline for some greater. So you see all these people that have great things in life that you look up to? It's because they were sacrificed and disciplined long before you ever knew them. That's the truth. So don't get mad later when you created your whole storm and then it starts raining on you. You guys need to understand what you don't have to do. Can you play one right? more time? You don't, have to, you don't have to work hard. You don't have to eat right. You don't have to sleep right. You don't have to watch extra film. You don't have to do more than what's required of you. You don't have to be a good teammate. You don't have to be a good leader. You don't have to do anything that you don't want to do. But you also don't have to win. You don't have to, you don't have to be a success in life. You don't have to help your team win. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to play. No one has to play you. So the greatest things in life take sacrifice and discipline. And that's why so few people achieve great things. Because they don't want to sacrifice. They don't want to discipline for some greater. So you see all these people that have great things in life that you look up to? It's because they were sacrificed and disciplined long before you ever knew them. That's the truth. So don't get mad later when you created your whole storm and then it starts raining on you. You guys. Georgia Tech coach Jalen Payne. I'm going to do my best rendition from a Christian perspective. I'm hoping I'm being provocative. I mean, I'm hoping I'm doing the same thing. You don't have to make coming to church a priority. You don't have to care about the Lord's day. You don't have to read your Bibles. You don't have to pray. You don't have to trust Christ. You don't have to put on the armor of God. You don't have to live a life worthy of the gospel. You don't have to love your wives and you don't have to love your husbands and you don't have to love your children. You don't have to bring them up in the Lord. You don't have to work as unto the Lord. You don't have to share the gospel. You don't have to love your neighbor. You don't have to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. You don't have to commit to this church. 
You don't have to sing. You don't have to honor preaching. You don't have to share your testimony. You don't have to follow Christ. You don't have to do any of it. But understand, what we read about is those who did. So just like Coach Payne said, don't be surprised when your life falls apart. You don't have to go to heaven. You don't have to relish in the promise of eternity. You don't have to experience the love of God. So just like Coach Payne told his, coach, his, his teammates or his players, when he told them, you don't, don't be mad when, this, when you don't get played in the storms of life come. I would say, don't be upset when you meet Christ. I was told a long, long time ago, being a parent would give me great insight to my heavenly father, and it has. I've seen when I've given my best to my girls, they've rejected it. I've seen what it means to love unconditionally. I've seen what it means to try to give them love and grace. I've seen how I have failed my heavenly father. There are a lot of similarities, but let me just say this. Tim Dillingham isn't God the Father because our God and our Father is always perfect, always loving, always just, always gracious, always the same. He's never moody and he's always provided for us the great gift of love through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. He gives us a relationship that never fails. And I'm saying today, if you've committed to Christ a million years ago, then I would just say that you need to praise him and reaffirm that commitment. Maybe you've not committed to Christ this morning and you're under so much struggle and pain, that pain's not gonna go away until you put, as my friend David says, until you put Jesus Christ right in the middle of your life, it isn't gonna get any better. Your marriage, your work, your kids, your parents, it's not gonna, it's not gonna change until you put Christ in the center. Some of you need to leave the far country. You've drifted away from your heavenly father. You need to drop all the stuff you're clinging to and you need to return home because our father is at the end of the driveway and he's waiting to slay the fatted calf, put the ring on you and put the robe around you. And if I could, so you're saying, how do I do that? How do I be the parent God wants me to? Psalms 127.1 says, unless the Lord builds a house. Brothers and sisters, you're not gonna have the family you, can, you need. You're not gonna do what you can do if you don't put the Lord at the center unless the Lord builds this church, unless the Lord builds my home, unless the Lord builds my family, it's all for naught. Father, thank you for your word. I'm grateful that the Holy Spirit was the minister in charge today, and I pray that you would do what you need to do. There, be, there may be some that needs to be repentant now, to confess now, to turn to you now, to trust you as Savior now. I pray, Lord, you would guide them. In Jesus' name, amen.